we're on. Well, hello everybody and welcome to this, the Christmas issue of Practico's Costs Chat Between Friends, which is our replacement for the breakfast meetings that we used to have before COVID. Um, the friends on this particular occasion, we're very pleased to welcome Andrew Gordon-Saker, the senior cost judge, um, who's very kindly agreed to join us uh, and take time from his very, very busy schedule. Andy Ellis, Managing Director of Practico, and me, Jeremy Morgan, retired cost barrister and consultant to Practico. Uh, we called it a cost chat between friends, and we hope that uh, the senior cost judge will not regard this as compromising his undoubted impartiality on all matters that <laughs> come before him. Um, a quick uh, preview of what we're going to talk about. This is it's partly a Christmas issue and partly because not a huge amount of really important developments have taken place in cost law uh, just recently. Um, so what we're going to do is have a, a look at how the cost officers managed to run things during the period of various greater and lesser lockdowns, um, with an input also from, from Andy on how um, things are seen from that side of the fence. Um, something about uh, guideline hourly rates, um, which have been one or two developments, and um, discussion of whether there's been any progress on other matters such as fixed costs and DBAs. Um, but I'd like to kick off then straight away with asking the senior cost judge for a very personal view, I'm sure it will be, of how it's been over the last year or so running the cost office and how the cost office has managed to cope and what changes have, have, have had to take place to deal with, with the various uh, problems that have been. Well, um, like everybody else, the first lockdown, although we were expecting it for a relatively short period before it started, uh, came as um, something of a surprise. Um, so like most people for the first week or two, um, we were trying to work out how we were going to do things and, and what we were going to do. And we, we had a significant advantage in that um, uh, we had recently introduced electronic filing. It had become uh, compulsory in January and it had been voluntary from uh, the summer of, of last year. So pretty much most of the, the hearings that we had from April onwards um, were derived from electronic files. And, and that is a huge benefit because if you're, for example, a, a judge in the county court uh, or in a district registry of the high court, which doesn't have electronic files, uh, somehow the, the court staff have to get the paper file to you for each case that you hear. But with electronic files, we can access any file from anywhere on pretty much any electronic um, device. So that that, that was sort of about a third of the equation. There, there seems to be the sort of three aspects we had to get to grips with. One was file, files, which um, we had the benefit of electronic file, filing. Um, the other was the sort of IT technology. Uh, and uh, the uh, other, sorry, the third was um, getting the solicitor's um, papers. Um, the IT uh, equipment has improved significantly or at least the IT capabilities uh, have improved significantly over the last um, eight months. Um, the court service IT department really did um, step up. Few of us had much experience of, of um, uh, video hearings um, before uh, March and April. Um, so I'd had the odd case where I'd, I'd uh, either had one party, usually because they were in prison, 
um, by video um, and sometimes um, a witness giving evidence by video. Um, but my experience of that was, was generally absolutely awful. I mean, with, with the, the prisoners who were generally um, paying bills because Serke or Group 4 or whoever uh, had decided that they were going to enforce costs orders to discourage um, proceedings. Um, were obviously spread around the country and uh, you either heard them and didn't see them or you uh, saw them and, uh, and didn't hear them. Um, so the, the, the court IT equipment for video rings was awful and we had Skype and, and Teams on our computers but I don't think many people use them. So th there was a lot of um, uh, sort of on the hoof training uh, very urgently given to us and an awful lot of um, uh, uh, help given uh, in the form of written guides, um, which were produced at, at very short notice. And over time, we moved from Skype, which probably wasn't so good, to Teams. And I think nowadays most people use use Teams. So that the that the having the the hearing in terms of the IT uh, has got a lot better. Um, and the judiciary has always been very reluctant to deal with with IT. So we hear. Um, do you think they've improved as a result of really having to do it? Well, I, I think absolutely. Year? I mean, we have to do it. I think every judge now uses um, uh, video hearings. I mean, when I started as a, as a full-time cost judge 17 years ago, we all had laptops, but um, I inherited my laptop from the person I inherited my room from. <laughs> and he obviously never switched it on. And then most of them actually hadn't switched them on, and a few of them hadn't even taken them out of the box. Um, and to send an email to somebody, you had to unplug the phone and plug in your laptop and sort of, you know, you've got the clicking and the whirring. Um, and so a good half an hour just to send an email or to receive an email. Um, so, I mean, all that has gone, everybody. I mean, even some of my, my deputy colleagues who I love dearly, but, but who aren't, um, you know, they're retired costs judges who probably weren't the most... Uh, keen on IT. I mean, they have embraced it with enthusiasm because the reality is we either do this or we, we do nothing. This is the only way uh, of having hearings that, that the Thomas More building uh, physically is, it just doesn't um, enable social distancing. You can't pass somebody in the corridor um, because the corridors are too narrow. You can't get more than three or four people in a, in a room and you've got to shepherd them in and shepherd them out and there are limited lifts and, and any one person can go in a lift at a time. So, so it's hopeless. So, I mean, there, there have been very few um, uh, in-person hearings, as we now call them. I think a handful, they're held in the, the courts in the main building um, or have been held in the courts in the main building. And generally that's because somebody's got to give evidence orally and a view is taken that for whatever reason that can't be done um, by video. So, um, yeah, we've had to do it because if we didn't do it, we, we, um, we wouldn't be able to do anything. And, and so even the most diehard technophobes, uh, not that there are such things, of course, amongst the cost of <laughs> uh, have embraced um, and, and actually got quite keen on video hearings. And they, they work a lot better than they, they probably did at the beginning. We're, we're getting more used to them. Um, we understand how they work better, I think. Um, and we have better systems for we have better understanding of what's needed and, and better systems for running for running the hearings. Um, and then the third aspect that we needed to get to grips with is getting the, the receiving parties solicitors files, because, um, again, our history of electronic files hasn't been great. 
largely because our equipment wasn't great. So if somebody gave us a memory stick with all their files on, um, that would cause our laptops to seize up or you know, same with the CD-ROM. So we've got new laptops. Um, we, we've got um, better monitors. Um, we've got the kit um, and we now have the ability, I think, to, to uh, receive larger files that the court service set up something called the Document Upload Center, which will receive files of any size. Um, you can send your files to the, the DUC, as it's called, um, knowing that they're, they're going to be held securely and they're only going to be accessible by um, my clerk and, and me. Um, and um, there's also, I think, now a greater willingness to access file sharing sites. So the last hearing I've had, for example, I, I've been accessing three file sharing sites. Um, it, it sounds a bit clunky because you've got to move from one to the other and sometimes you get kicked out and you've got to re-enter your password. But actually, if the, um, the alternative is, is files of papers, somebody's got to go through the files looking for that attendance note that they need to find or that letter or whatever uh, and it's it, it's no snow even if you do get kicked out and even if you've forgotten your password and have to look it up so um it, it's uh, the, the three components have come together um and i think that's going to have an effect for the long term because um while it's better to have physical hearings um i think probably what we're going to get out of this once the the, the present pandemic is over. It is a greater use of video hearings for, um, uh, or greater use of video for shorter hearings, yeah. um, rather than dragging people you know, across the country yeah. for a half hour criminal appeal or a, an hour application or something. Um, and greater use of, of electronic files, um, just to avoid, and partly to avoid, um, having to deal with large boxes of documents or large quantities of documents. Um, but also um, for those solicitors who have worked electronically, some for years, it is crazy that, you know, it, by, by reason of our lack of technology, we've required them to print off hundreds of thousands of emails, stick them all in files, and then lodge them at the costs office with a detailed assessment hearing. So, I mean, we, we've, we've got the equipment, I think we've got the skills, um, and we now have the enthusiasm to, to, to deal with cases which, where the papers are electronic, uh, electronically. Um, it's hard to talk about a silver lining for something like COVID, but um, it sounds as though it has been a stimulus to the court system whose IT yeah. has not always been the best um, yeah. to really invest and, and um, move into the 21st century, I suppose. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, obviously, um, the, the, the expenditure that's been in, incurred on this will inevitably lead to, to those in charge of the court service saying, well, we now need a return on, <laughs> return on this. So, I mean, I, I hope that doesn't mean that, um, uh, that, that uh, video hearings become the norm. Um, I think you know, most of us would rather have in-person hearings. Um, but I think there is, or probably even before the, the pandemic, that, that there was an enthusiasm for moving things online. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that will probably be uh, strengthened by the fact we now actually, because of the pandemic, have better equipment and, and we're better skills and, and, um, and more enthusiasm. Mm 
So I think it, as a consumer, Andy. Sorry. As a consumer, Andy, what's your your experience of the same um, few months been? Well, I think you you um, I think you summed it up very well, which is that I think we're we're probably rightly you know respectful um, uh, of. Uh, keeping away from saying, you know, th 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 there's been some good things to come out of COVID because there haven't been any good things to come out of COVID. But um, it must be the case that, um, you know, at a rough guess, the acceleration of the move towards remote hearings and certainly the use of electronic documents, it's hard to put a figure on it because I think without any form of compulsion, we could have been, you know, we would have been talking about at least a parallel system for you know five years or more but you know it's quite possible that in that we might have moved forward you know 10 years in a year you know in terms of uh, in terms of how things have worked and i think as andrew just said if we can keep the if we can keep the good bits and 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 reintroduce um elements of person to person um i mean certainly perhaps it's just getting used to it but you know i find that um hearings work much better than I expected to on, on video but they are somehow they're also quite draining in a way somehow that 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 uh, that that person-to-person -person hearings in-person hearings aren't um and even though I'm not um uh, I'm not nostalgic to get back on the tube again anytime soon you know because there's <laughs> faff involved with getting there and as, as you say it's sort of <laughs> the risks involved with using the lifts at the Thomas More building are not are not necessarily COVID related there's some that are all <laughs> that belong to just that whole lift system um, but uh, uh, certainly the what's accelerated for us is and certainly for me is that um, I was pretty rubbish at um, using PDF technology um, and you know, I'm still GCSE, not anything more than that. But certainly having been forced down the line of looking at Acrobat DC Pro, or whatever they call it these days, and what you're able to do with it in terms of annotating, combining, paginating, forming bundles, so on and so forth, it is um, much better. And uh, I think we are, as, as a firm, you know, we're, 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 we are genuinely paperless now. In a way that we were uh, we were, we were one foot in and one foot out before, and that's got to be a good thing. Anything else, um, Andrew? Let's say Andrew Gordon Saker about the, this year's experience. Uh, no, I mean I, I think um, I mean I, I would like to to to, to mention um, the court staff who have, have done a tremendous job. In, in keeping us going and I'm not just saying that they really have they the, the SCCA staff actually won the the regional court service award for um uh, uh coping through the the pandemic uh, it actually I mean uh, no disrespect to them but it, it um the award looks like a piece of broken window but uh, that, that's you know it's <laughs> a piece of modern art um but uh, <laughs> I don't think that means anything but they, they have done really well I mean that they're, 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 we're the only public counter I think in the in the RCJ that kept open the, the whole time so they, they some of them have been in every day since the, the first lockdown to, to receive bundles and and um, put bits of paper in um, in files that where we still have paper files um, and keeping us going I mean in terms of I just had one thing about video hearings um, 
I mean, Andy's right that they are more draining. Um, and I'm not quite sure why that is. It may, maybe just staring at screens all day um, has an effect, um, or maybe because they're possibly a little bit more concentrated. Um, so, um, and, and for the, uh, from my perspective, and probably I suspect from the perspective of other, uh, of the professionals that, that um, you know, there's a lot more organizing to do for them. You've got to make sure that everybody's had the right invites to the right hearing. Um, and uh, afterwards I've got to sort of sort out recordings and things. So, so they had a degree of admin, which, which um, certainly the judges um, didn't have before. And I mean, my practice, and, and I don't think this is universal, and I'm sure there are better ways of doing it, uh, is to take two half-hour breaks, so one in the middle of the morning and one in the middle of the afternoon, um, which reduces the length of the hearing by an hour, so 20% on a five-hour five day. Um, because most of the people are, are, are appearing from home, and some people um, are, are appearing from offices, um, unless they have very odd homes. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they've got all the, the problems of being at home. They've got people banging on the door or they've got kids or, or they've got the dog barking and that sort of thing. Uh, and they need to know that they will get a break at half past 11 and they will get a break at three o'clock so they can sort out the kids and they can pick their shopping up off the front doorstep. <laughs> that, that they can, you know, sort out whatever they need to do. So I mean, my, my practice has been to sort of tell them at the beginning, we take a break at 11.30, we take a break at three, four, half an hour. And a half an hour sounds generous, but by the time you've been to the loo and made yeah, yeah. coffee and, and brought the shopping in or sorted out the kids or fed the dog or whatever else, um, it, it quickly disappears. Um, and I have offered, I think in every case, to add on an hour at the end. So we, if you want, I'll sit from five to six. Yeah. In every case, they've refused it. So we don't know. It reminds me of a... Of a um, an earlier cost judge, um, Master Pollard, uh, who used to also have a break in the middle of the morning, in the middle of the afternoon. Um, but the reason became apparent when he came back into his room after the break, is there's a small amount of pipe smoke emerging from his top drawer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used, to, I used to try and seek to curry favour with him by suggesting that there was something that I needed to get instructions on, or is there something that he might like to read? Um, <laughs> halfway through the morning, as he was getting a bit twitchier on the top of his desk, and uh, it didn't do me any good at all. He did He was very, very nice about it. He seemed to appreciate it, but he still used to take pleasure in uh, rejecting most of my submissions. So. I inherited his room and his desk, and the top right-hand drawer. Literally, there was no base to it. It had burned away from putting his pipe in there while it was while it was still lit. <laughs> Um, moving on perhaps then to and that was a really interesting insight into to how it's been from from that side of the uh, bench a um, little bit of uh, discussion about guideline idea rates so obviously been quite a big issue this year um, anything new going on there well the civil justice council working group is soon i think to produce um, a draft report for consultation um, the timetable, I think, is that it should be um, produced before Christmas. Obviously, we'd only just got started in March and we'd had one meeting before the, the first lockdown. So things were delayed for a few months. 
Um, so uh, the, yeah, the, the draft report should be going out for consultation, I think around about Christmas. Um, there'll then be consultation over the first part of um, the new year. Um, and we're hoping to, to produce it in around about June, I think, so in its final form. Um, and, and uh, you know, without giving any secrets away, uh, I, I think we, we, we've, we, we've got enough data to produce a set of figures which um, uh, hopefully will pass muster with the, the master of the roles. Um, so yeah, uh, it's um, I think it's looking quite positive. Um, uh, and you know we've had 10, 10 years without um, guideline hourly rates. Um, Lord Dyson, when uh, he was master of the roles, uh, and took the decision that the two thousand and ten rates would consider, or sorry, would continue for the foreseeable future, uh, anticipated changes in costs which haven't happened. Um, so he thought that fixed costs would be um, extended to a much greater extent than they have been. In fact, since um, 2014, 2015, when he made that decision, there have been no new fixed costs regimes introduced, although we still have recommendations, obviously, from uh, Rupert Jackson's review um, in 2017. Uh, they haven't yet been uh, implemented. Um, so that hasn't happened. The, the new test of proportionality, I don't think, has had the effect which um, people thought it would. So that hasn't, I think, had much of an impact on hourly rates. Solicitors still charge by hourly rates. Um, it's very rare that I see a case where they've agreed a, a fixed sum for the job. Um, so I, I think we still need hourly rates, or we still need guideline hourly rates. Um, and I mean, the, the options really were to, to have a, a, a serious go at coming up with some new ones, which is what we've done, or just to say, forget the guidelines. Um, you know, the, the, to some extent, there's no point in referring to 10-year-old um, to, to rates because they're 10-year-old rates. And, and you can say, well, it's appropriate to use 10-year-old rates and uprate them for inflation, but everybody's going to take a different measure of inflation or different period over which the inflation runs. Um, which just makes the whole thing a bit pointless. So, um, yes, I, I think spurred on by Mrs. Justice O'Farrell in um, the open case, um, we, we, we've got on with it. Um, and um, as I say, I, I think we'll, we'll produce figures which, which um, I wouldn't say people are happy with, but, but which hopefully will we'll pass muster with the, with the new master of the roles. Without, I, I heard the magic names. Sorry, and I had the magic names um, Fenn and Rickman um, mentioned in this context. I, I, I hear they're still at it. It must be <laughs> they 10 <are>. years. <laughs> they are. They, they've been really helpful on, on, on this, uh, as they have been on, on others. But um, yeah. yes, they're, they're, well, I mean, they're, they're, they're the go-to guys for, um, uh, for, for anything to do with costs. And they're still the go-to guys. And, and um, yeah, uh, long may them. Long may their involvement continue because they are they are very useful and and you know you don't have to explain everything. If you took an economist who has no experience of costs or the law and said, "Well, this is the problem," um, it would probably take a long time to explain yeah. what the problem was in terms that they understand. But um, uh, Paul Fenn and Neil Rickman just say, "Yes, fine. You know, we understand because we did this then and we did this then, and yeah, it's it's just a, to some extent a continuation of that." I, I interrupted you, Andy. 
Oh, I was only going to ask a question, not not asking to for you to give anything away at all. But I just wondered whether um, there would be a need to backfill a little bit for previous years, because um, if you just have if you just end up with new guideline rates as of now um, or whenever they're produced, that's fantastic. Um, but it, you could well be seeing cases that have taken place over, you know, three to four years beforehand. Um, it's still in a sort of lacuna for rates. So um, I'm just wondering if I can see some idea of where somebody will try and index them backwards a little bit if they're current or whether there might be, you know, a sort of an attempt at saying, well, for certain years it would be this and that's how it's progressed over the over the last five years, say. Well, well coming up with one set of rates, I'll tell you, has been, has been quite a, a job. Coming up with, a, you know, ten, <laughs> 10 sets of rates, I think would just be beyond us. Um, so, no, I mean, obviously somebody could work out if um, the, the, the grade A rate for the city is now going to be this, mm. and it was that, that then you can obviously work out the, um, uh, how you get from one to the other mm. um, at any particular point in time. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 possible, but no. The short answer is we're not planning on on a back catalogue of well, no it, you, rates you have missed over the last ten years. Exactly, and please, that's not that wasn't a request, by the way. Don't I don't want to get into your bad books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm think I've got the skills to edit it out of this this video, <laughs> but I, I won't I won't take it any further. I mean, the, the next thing is going to be, you know, looking to the future and and, uh, and the future will be be different. Um, yeah. There are going to be different ways of working. Um, so we haven't really taken that into account because we don't know what's going to happen. But if people are working from home more, um, if firms do abandon city centres, um, it, it will change the, the, the dynamics of, of early rates. Um, but that's going to be we can't do anything about it now because we don't know what's going to happen but but that that's probably going to be for the next review and and that may be a, a bigger piece of work i think or over or over several years i mean i think the it, it certainly makes me think that there'll be lots of new type of arguments along the lines of yeah Wraith and sheffield boardmasters or what have you you know in terms of you know the uh, um, well, perhaps I'd, I'd summarise it by saying perhaps there'd be a, a slight recalibration so that geography is not as big a determinant in the rates, perhaps, as it is now. Um, not, 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 not a question for now, but I think that could be a, a theme that develops over the next few years if the direction of travel, or rather lack of it, is um, it, it, it continues the way we expect it to um, disperse firms. I mean, I know of some clients of ours who had already taken the plunge of not moving out from London, but perhaps moving to smaller offices that are based on 65, 70% capacity as opposed to 100 to reflect more, um, uh, more flexible working, that will probably now find that that's probably twice as much as they need. Um, now, they've still got the financial commitment for it. And, and the larger the firm, normally, the longer the, um, you know, the longer the lease agreements are. Um, but certainly, you know, in, in terms of how we how we live in the future, um, it seems that, you know, we might all end up in some form of serviced office or hub of some sort or other, which uh, uh, where we, we go to do certain things, but we just don't go to all work together at the same time anymore. Um, and if you aren't doing that, you're acting disproportionately because you should be. Well, yeah. yes. I mean, far <laughs> be it from me, Jeremy, to think that I would take some 
some some very small point about whether it was reasonable to get on a train from Manchester to London to see counselling conference, but uh, uh, I might. <laughs> I could see a whole range of interesting new arguments opening up, can't you, in, in that connection? Because clearly there are changes which um, will be argued about. Yes, it, it, exactly. And and what I'm talking about, that's very much the small end of it, um, uh, you know, I think. But, um, uh, but, but certainly the fact that when you've suddenly got... Um, ways of working that are undoubtedly cheaper and you choose not to then you know the stand that seems to me what the standard basis is there for to sort of set a standard not so much an irreducible you know not always just an irreducible minimum but in terms of calibrating what reasonable means they will be the new arguments i would imagine um i think uh Andrew, you've already sort of given the game away a bit that fixed costs have not changed um, for right. some years, as as expected by uh, Lord by uh, Lord Dyson when he was master of the rolls. Um, anything on the horizon though now that we can expect some debt? That and DBAs, anything in the sort of law reform areas that we can expect not, something? Not about that I'm aware of. Um, the uh, government um, did indicate uh, an enthusiasm for extending fixed recoverable costs earlier this year. You remember Lord Justice Jackson's um, proposals go back to 2017 and um, uh, nothing happened, I think, until um, last year. So, so th th they were left on the plate for two years uh, when the government uh, consulted uh, on his proposals um, with a slight variant. So, so he suggested that a new track um, the intermediate track would be created, say, between the, the fast track and the uh, top of the multi-track. Uh, and this would take straightforward claims up to £100,000 and fixed costs would be uh, recoverable in the intermediate track. Um, but costs would remain at large in the, in the uh, reduced multi-track. Um, and the government thought that, that that was probably going to be a bit too... I don't know why, but they thought it was going to be a bit too complicated. Um, so they, they abandoned the question of a separate track uh, and they just said, well, no, fixed recoverable costs will apply to straightforward cases up to 100,000. That's what they consulted on. Um, but that's, uh, I think their, their response um, was due last year and I, I don't think we've, um, we yet have uh, anything since then. So, so we've had over a year, probably 18 months of nothing happening so i mean it, well you know what happens sometimes with the government they suddenly say um we, we've dusted this off the shelf and, and we're, we're now going to go ahead with it but th there's no indication that uh, i'm aware of that, that that's that, that's happening at the moment and, and nick bacon and rachel mulheron's work on on dbas anything uh, on the horizon there no but not that Just i'm aware of um yeah uh, you'll remember there was a a, a big launch of their proposals. Um, if I said it was last year, it was probably the year before, but it was either last year <laughs> or the year before. Uh, I couldn't tell you when. Um, and now I've, I've heard nothing since then. So um, th there's no obvious appetite uh, for it in, in, um, in government, as far as I'm aware. The, the one thing we have had is, is a, a change in the rules on um, seeking a variation of a, a budget. Um, has that filtered through to the cost office yet, or is that really something you'll experience a bit further down the line? Uh, I think we'll we'll get it further down the line. I mean, I have to say, I mean, one of the reasons for um, 
or one of the reasons I've used for saying that there is no good reason to depart from the budget is that the uh, receiving party didn't apply for a variation when it could have done. So I'm, I'm not too sure that the rules um, are, are going to have a, a great impact. I mean, they, they, to some extent, I think it's sort of codifying um, what um, uh, is possibly the case uh, anyway. Is this um, impacting on you at all, Andy, yet? Um, only potentially in cases that I can't talk about because they might be coming before Andrew at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, suffice to say that, you know, I could imagine that um, lawyers might get busy as to, uh, as to whether it's been toughened up because it now says must apply as opposed to shall apply and whether there's much of a difference between shall and must or whether it's just being a bit more modern and plain English to say must. Um, but the, the twin thing is, is that, yes, you must do it, but you must also do it promptly. Um, so therefore, if you, if you, if you know, if, if you do it, but you do it quite late, one wonders whether that's going to be um, uh, uh, going to be something that's going to come up. Well, it's going to come up on the, on the variation application itself. You know, that's before we get to whether, whether good reasons are, are, are going to be applied. Um, certainly, um, I think that there's a slight trick being missed in terms of the um, there's a form you'll be I know you love forms Jeremy there's a there's a oh, new yeah. there's a new precedent T which is at least as a standard yeah, yeah. form now for presenting a budget variation but in it you still merge together the 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 incurred and um, and and further estimated costs that you expect to expend on the the budget phase that you're seeking the variation about. Now, it seems to me a pretty basic question, you know, if I was a judge, ha ha, um, would, you know, the first thing I'd be sort of saying was, okay, well, you, you know, you now say that this phase should be, you know, a hundred thousand pounds or what have you, you know, how much have you actually spent on it so far? They don't actually have to say that on the form, they can, you know, uh, but if they, you know, if the last budget was 50 and they've already spent 70, then you would have thought, well, you're uh, you're a bit late, mate, aren't you? In some respects, potentially. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, that's a, that, that's a minor uh, um, uh, that's a minor gripe on on my part. But it does seem to suggest to me that the idea of being able to allow some retrospectivity as a pragmatic thing, bringing aspects of sharp and blank into into the rules because they weren't there before, is a sensible idea. If we're talking about fairly short periods where it's just too bitty to start putting in other little slices of incurred costs. But, you know, I don't think it's intended to be something that you can pack a year's incurred costs into before you've even applied and expect to, expect to get home. Uh, but we, we shall see. It is the old tactical problem, though, isn't it? You know, have we got enough to go now or are we going to be told we've gone too soon? Or do we have to wait in which case we're told we've gone too late? It, it happens in so many areas of the law. Well, the, 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 when we give, um, you know, general advice to clients about budgeting we tend to uh we tend to urge them to look to always have in mind the assumptions that went into the first budget because if you keep those under review during your you know your case meetings periodic case reviews or so and so it's more likely to jump off the page if something that you, something you expected to happen 
either hasn't happened or has happened on a larger scale than you were intending, than you were expecting or was budgeted for. Because when those costs appear on the ledger, they could well be a lag. In any event, the costs on the ledger don't tell you by themselves how far through that aspect of the work you are. So, you know, better to to go by, you know, there's obviously easy things like, you know, the trial's twice the length it was. I mean, you know, we get all that. Or we were expecting to see... Oh, I see we were expecting to produce five witness statements. It looks like we're now going to produce 12. Well, the minute you know that, even before you have, then that's the time to go, it seems to me. Yeah. And, and there we are. That's, my, that's my, a bit of my views on budgeting. Well, look, I'd, I'd like to thank you both for this really interesting conversation. We hope those who are watching and listening have, have found it helpful. Um, I'm not going to uh, ask either of you to speculate when the um, population of cost lawyers and cost judges is sufficiently immune to uh, to start uh, in presence hearings all over again because your lawyers are not uh, medics. Um, but I will, in the meantime, wish everybody a very happy Christmas and keep safe. And thank you again. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. And a happy Christmas. And to you also. <laughs>